Did you know a podcast episode like this can provide literally dozens of marketing content assets for your business? It's brought to you by Content Monster, your go-to for engaging marketing content, like this podcast or remote video production. It's not just a podcast, it's your marketing powerhouse. Visit contentmonster.com to learn more. That's contentmonsta.com. Welcome to Season 2 of Under the Hood, a podcast series brought to you by Synapse. In this series, hosted by Synapse founder and CEO, Samkat Patak, Under the Hood takes a deep dive into various challenges and opportunities in fintech. Topics range from technical design and architecture to regulatory and policy challenges. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today for Under the Hood. In this episode, we're going to explore global banking, what that means, and what is this new pattern and customer behavior that we've been seeing, how it's been working, and what do we need to do to make it scale as quickly as possible. To share their thoughts and experiences, I will be joined by Colton, who's the founder and CEO of RouteFusion, which is a global remittance platform, and also Lucas Vargas, who's the CEO of Nomad, who's building a really cool Brazilian US banking product. Colton, Lucas, thanks for joining me today. Uh, I was thinking about this new trend uh, in fintech, which is people wanting to provide global banking products. And I thought, uh, who better to talk to than both of you? Uh, given Lucas, you're building phenomenal product for the Brazilian market. And then Colton, you're literally at the center of all local pay in payouts <laughs> and the vision around how can people just interface with a global financial stack easily. Might be good to start with, what is global banking? Like, uh, I know there are different definitions and I think all three of us have seen this really interesting trend around US banking uh, and access to it. Maybe Lucas, from your perspective, like how, how would you define this new trend around global banking and what is it looking like? Sure, so thanks thanks for the invitation, Sankat. Happy to be here. Um, so I come from a emerging market, right? And um, if you think about global banking from that perspective, it's kind of natural to expect that coming from emerging markets, there's going to be a need for people to think about how to protect themselves in the long run and how to make their lives more efficient somehow. Uh, if you think about banking and like domestic banking, it, 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 we, we are right in, right in the middle of a transformation that is happening, right? And so adding the global banking to that equation, it, it, it is a lot of complexity. It really transforms how you think about navigating financial products and services. So adding my perspective from, from an emerging market and that additional variable that really transforms the complexity that we see here, global banking, in summary for me, is how to make a citizen's financial life efficient, right? And yeah. there is this dimension, which is the cross-border dimension, that's still extremely, extremely dark and inefficient and costly uh. 
and Colton can definitely help us here. <laughs> but when you think of global, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. It's like how to make my life or someone who is in another emerging market just efficient because you have this barrier and we see we see neobanks all over the world, like really domestic ones being extremely successful, but being able to really provide a service in a frictionless way to make sure a citizen's life is really transparent when you think when you think of the country that where that person is consuming financial products and services, it's something really new. So to me that's the challenge. When I think about global is is cross border. How to make that barrier transparent, invisible, so that you can really navigate without thinking about, hey, I have this account or I have this financial product or service. And it's, it's just as easy as it is for you to use your domestic card, bank account today in your country, right? So that's to me when I think about global is navigating cross-border. Yeah, I think the interesting pattern, Colton would love to hear your thoughts on this as well. The interesting customer demand has been three-dimensional, right? It's, I want to be able to custody funds not only in the country that I live in, I want to be able to move money effortlessly in not only the country that I live in, and I want to be able to invest outside of the country that I live in. Mm -hmm. And Colton, you're kind of like right there sitting on one of these very important variables, which is just making cross-border money movement money coming in money going out very effortless and easy on a global global way what like do you kind of align with this three-dimensional definition of global banking like what are your overall thoughts yeah it's like <laughs> this is this is uh and and yeah sanket thanks again for having having me on when you when you reached out and you actually you said we're going to be talking about global banking <laughs> and lucas is going to be on i was like oh man yeah, we've. I've been waiting four years to have this conversation. Um, I, 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 I agree. I, it. I think the definition of global banking. I think Lucas said it really well. Um, and it's funny, like Lucas and I have, you know, never really conversed, but the way that he describes, um, sort of, what I, I'm not going to speak for Nomad, but. Uh, what maybe his mission for global banking is, is very much aligned with how we see global banking. And that is um, being able to transact anywhere in the world uh, as if you're a local resident. Um, you know, people like to use the buzzwords like, uh, oh, there are no borders, borderless commerce. Um, those are cool. Those are kitschy. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I, I think for us getting into the space, we're right in the middle. You're right with FX, um, the cross-border payments. That's what that's what got us started. Um, and then as we kept diving further and further in, it's like all of these problems. You know, we initially started Route Fusion with this idea of like, well, moving money internationally is really difficult, right? On the payout side, there's all these different providers that have built these banking networks and. Um, how do how do you know who's the best one? Uh, and that led us to like, you know what? The only way you know you're the best one is if you've if you literally integrated with every single one of them um, and know what everyone's capabilities are, and then you can decide from there. And that led us uh, obviously from payouts into the um, 
you know, going into, into these different countries. And once you get in, you start seeing like specifically in Brazil, like our customers, uh, that are wanting to transact FX, you know, from Brazil to the U S or U S to the, or U S to Brazil, they also want to be able to connect into the local payment systems into Brazil, right? Picks, um, in particular, uh, same with Mexico, right? They want to connect into the Spay network, um, while they also want to have the FX and then Sanket, you, you know, it, um, with, with, the, with y'all's global cash offering, um, people also want to be able to have bank accounts in, in the U S and, and I think right now it's very siloed. Like we see it as like these individual offerings. Um, but before long with like the work that people like Nomad is doing, Jeeves, Route Fusion, many others, um, eventually I think it gets to a point where it's like global banking is just banking. Right. <laughs> and then this, this idea of like, uh, I mean, FX will always be there probably, but, um, even in cryptocurrencies, but this idea of like, uh, like it's so difficult to open a bank account in Mexico. Like hopefully that doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's like, oh, I can work with Nomad and they'll give me a virtual account in Mexico and I can connect into the Mexican, uh, local payment system and make payments there as if I live there. Um, I don't know. I may have talked a little bit in circles, but that's kind of, I feel like we're all very aligned in that, in that, in that sense around what exactly global banking is. It's just, it, it's the banking of, I don't know, maybe the future, the banking of the world. There you go. <laughs> banking of the world. Yeah. It seems like the pattern that, um, I was very encouraged by, and I think Nomad's done a phenomenal job of that in Brazil. Um, this high demand for what we saw at the beginning, just like access to the US banking rails. And then it seems like it's much, much broader than that. It seems like it's banking, investing, just easy transactions, money movement, to your point, connecting picks with ACH, connecting picks with your card issuer processor, so that for people, the money's just moving as fluently and, and as easily as possible. It, it seems like that's what the customers want. Like, it doesn't matter which market you go into. Uh, uh, I talk to folks in India. I talk to folks in Brazil. I talk to folks in Argentina, Mexico. At this point, um, it seems like everyone outside of US and Europe gets this. So <laughs> obviously, but for some reason in the US, uh, uh, people still have a surprise that, oh, really? Like, this is this is a thing? People really want to be able to do this specific thing? And I I don't know what contributes to that. What is, what is, what what do you think is causing this, which is people in the U.S. are still surprised by this pattern, while for us who have been working in this industry or people who are not living in the U.S., Lucas's point, it's like, look, being kind of like coming from an outside market, this is such an obvious thing. What is so obvious about it there that's not obvious about here? Well, it's it's a great question. I, I don't have the answer, but I can kind of think about what's happening recently. The pandemic has definitely accelerated one aspect of globalization, which is um, global e-commerce, right? So that has really been something that has become more obvious with the global supply chain, like everything that has happened over the last two years has, a, has accelerated both, both the demand for global 
services in the individual level, not only in a business level, like people buying abroad, global e-commerce, all that stuff. So not only there's demand there, but also better understanding of how economies are connected. So supply chain, the whole supply chain, supply chain like really come to the forefront. And, and everyone yeah. is talking about that in the US, look at the ports, right? So I think it's happening everywhere. Everyone is really more connected from that perspective. And people are thinking about it. People are talking about it. When I go to emerging markets, and maybe this is just one perspective of what you're saying, Sankat, like Europe, there's a portion of that is really like if you think about the euro zone, like it's very strong, hard currency. But thinking about the emerging markets only, what has happened in the last two years in terms of volatility, it's crazy, right? If you look at the very, um, very long historical like data, what has happened in the last one, two years is unprecedented, at least in Brazil. And I know Brazil has been kind of worse, one of the, the worst uh, examples here, Brazil, Turkey, and some others. But if you look at least from here, uh, it's, it's become quite obvious that in the long run, in an emerging market with volatility, volatility wipes out your wealth. You see that. And when people yeah. mm -hmm. notice that, it becomes a force towards how do I protect, how do I somehow can protect my wealth, right? Mm. And so it starts, it's, and that's, that's, what, that's what, it, what is behind what we're building. And I've seen some other countries with a very similar, uh, yeah. some other companies in different countries with similar approaches, um, which is uh, how do you protect your wealth in the long run and what has happened with synapse what has happened like in the last five years in terms of infrastructure makes it now easier with the whole context for those people to have access to a very convenient in a few cases free which is our case for example way for you to protect against volatility by having part of your wealth and call tone is part of this equation, right? Part of your wealth moving from your emerging market into hard currency and hold that in a, in our case, FDIC insured, bank account, protected, safe. Mm -hmm. So all of those aspects in terms of context help Brazilians understand and now have access to something that before was unimaginable, right? Uh, we were, yeah. in our case, competing with um, the cushion maybe of like mattress yep. i don't know right so yeah. it's interesting from the perspective of someone in brazil that's probably a nomad customer if they're not using nomad they're essentially like nomad is a hedge like nomad is an investment right you could probably calculate returns just by holding your funds with nomad versus holding it in local bank account with uh you know, a Brazilian bank. That's like new bank. <laughs> yeah, like new bank or something. Like that's a, that's a that's an interesting concept. I can give You're you investing an without investing. I can give you one example that really um, shows uh, how big the problem can be. I sold my previous company for three billion reais, Brazilian currency. We mm -hmm. signed it in March two thousand twenty. 
one week before in Brazil, the chaos was yeah. established. Yeah. Uh, back back then, with the back then exchange rate, it was seven fifty million dollars. After mm-hmm. seven months of antitrust, when the deal was approved, yeah, the seven fifty with the new exchange rate was five fifty. <laughs> So the price fixed in Brazilian currency, but for our global investors, it was a big pain, right? So it it Mm -hmm. just shows the dimension of the problem that we're facing here. Yeah. And so to your point, Colton, you're totally right. Just by having now dollars, you don't even have to invest to start with, but just by having dollars, you're solving a big problem because money was born out of a need for simplicity, right? Like when you think about how money evolved, like from bartering to then metal coins, right? And and, and then gold and then global hard currency, like fiat. Uh, So there's an evolution here. And what we're building is kind of a means to an end that was born this need uh, it, 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 which is basically replacing what used to be different different like ways for you to store a value and protect right so mm-hmm. well <clears throat> i'm i'm curious too the cool thing too about nomad is it's like they get to they get to hedge currency risk but they don't have to do anything complex that you know, I'm, I'm sure Brazil, I know for a fact, Brazilian businesses do um, every day, every month uh, with, uh, you know, whether it's a vanilla Ford or uh, booking derivatives against uh, BRL, the USD, whatever it may be, like businesses are always protecting themselves. But now like, you know, the average consumer can, uh, can protect themselves and it's not complicated. It's frictionless. That's cool. Yeah, I think maybe the best articulation of global banking is that, which is a very simple way to hedge against the value that you have in your bank account, right? Like you could literally have money sitting in USD. Actually, I'm very interested in hearing both of y'all's opinion about this. I am convinced that for global banking, um, the the central clearinghouse and custodian needs to be America. I'm just convinced that that needs to be the case for multiple reasons. I think the overall economics here are way better. I think the consumer funds are protected a whole lot better. I think the regulatory regime is far more solid than in other regions. What do you all think? Like, is that is that really the case? Like, are we really moving to like a US bank account federated globally? Like, is that is that the future? If you make it happen, it is, Sankat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I'm convinced that's global cash, but I'd love to hear y'all's opinions on this as well. I feel like um, it's such an obvious bet. Like this, this seems to be the right thing. People want to hold USD and uh, the interchange rates are a whole lot better here. And it gives you the centralized place to be able to then export money in and out much easily because route fusion exists here. It's much easier to interface with a company like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, like for multiple angles from just general FinTech innovation to the regulatory regime, to the stability of the currency, I feel like 
we literally are in a way just scaling us banking globally there's not a lot of need for local banking be be integrated into this which i know like other other bas providers and other companies take that approach like uh um uh revolut has taken that approach where they've essentially established bank partnerships in every single country and you can in a way hold money in every single bank account locally and i'm sitting here thinking is that really needed or is it just a us account yeah, that you need to scale i mean you know no one's going to have a better opinion about it than than lucas uh cuz he's dealing he's interfacing directly with his customers um we're in the position where you know we work with uh you know we're like we're like you you know you, we're like uh, synapse in a way where it's we're interfacing with customers who have customers um from my perspective it, you know i don't know if it's the us is going to be the dominating force it kind of seems like it is um especially with offerings like global cash um if you can do it in a compliant way uh one of the things that that i've been wondering is if it doesn't happen with um an actual FDIC you know US dollar account which you know Synap or Synket, you know better than all of us like the amount of regulation and um hoops and hurdles you have to jump through to like properly set that up and why it doesn't exist today it's because it's it's difficult not necessarily from a technical standpoint but from a from a compliance and regulatory perspective like you've got to really um be able to put together a solid case um you have to have trust with your customers like nomad that they're going to be doing their diligence um and so it's it's just it's a very difficult problem from that perspective and so i've always wondered like okay if it's not that is it usdc right is it um is it still some form of us dollar and everyone's just going to be hedging like every, the US dollar will continue to just stay in uh sort of mainstream um i i know like when the pandemic started i was like watching a lot of ray dalio and like listening to him and you know he's all oh like uh china's coming you know they're they're going to be the new global currency of the world um they're digitizing uh the uh the the chinese currency whatever and uh the more that we dug in through the pandemic the more obvious i was like i i don't think so right like everything seems to be latam india uh even sometimes europe um people coming here wanting to hold us dollar whether it's an actual account or it's usdc um now then you have to ask yourself like is that just because that's historical and like that's like what we've been sort of trained to think is the most stable currency um because i mean the us dollar is experiencing its own inflation but uh i i don't know i <laughs> i think about that all the time i have i have no idea i know that it seems to be um there seems to be still a, a lot of demand for it my sales guys are sure surely bringing a lot of those things to the table so <laughs> what do you think lucas um i usually get um some other questions like that are somehow similar like how do you think a crypto.com product with a debit card competes with nomad it's kind of a similar mm. question right <laughs> yeah is that your is that the vc question VCs. that people ask you 
that would be a very well-informed VC, my opinion, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say the that. question that, was more yeah, valid that's, two uh, months ago, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, but those questions, like how does, how will this new trend like really change infrastructure and behavior? And and I go back to at least our case, what we're building and the pain that we're solving and the inefficiency that we see in the market, which is that's the cross-border thing. If we are able yeah. to have one, to think about money wealth deposits in the middle like this is wealth you could have as we had in the past salt right that, that was wealth or um some other assets like um barley people use multiple things but that's wealth in the middle deposits and what we're solving here is for, hey, an easy way for you to have that wealth protected and for you to use and grow it, period. That's what we're doing. So what's wealth in the middle? It can be like as long as it is in the long term, stable, period, right? That's the core mm -hmm. of wealth. It's stability. It's being able for you to predict value. So having said that, we're building something here around US dollars. And we can have a card, we can have products that Synapse offers, we can have investment products to grow that, but it's around wealth. And if we are able to, one, okay, you're storing here, as long as it is stable, great. But if you're able to use and grow around that, like you have your card, like, okay, we can yeah. use the card in Europe. So the problem is solved. So the point here is, I'm not answering the same question, but the point is, I don't know. I don't really know. Is it going to be China in the middle? I, I don't... Far too authoritarian. It's so complex. Far too authoritarian. Um, no. <laughs> scares me. Yeah, but, but the point here, to, to me, the point here is being... Like stability is, yeah, mm -hmm. is stability and um, in having a a common and shared understanding of the value is what's behind the coin, right? That and, and, and if you think about that from that perspective, it looks like the U.S. dollar right now. I would bet on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually, um, I think there is probably U.S. commerce, which is U.S. payments. And then we try to do some research in Swiss custody, which is, uh, um, is the end state like a sovereign country like Swiss? Like you put mm. money in Switzerland while payment processing and everything goes through the U.S. And then you just do an arbitrage custody piece. Um didn't give me enough confidence by looking at some of the large banks there and the amount of regulatory oversight they had. Um, AKA like I'm saying, I feel like maybe like the Swiss financial market is not as stable as it seems. But to your point, I think this is a very articulate way to put it, which is at the core of it, what customers want is stability and ease of use. And it seems like when you look at those two features, America seems to provide that far better than what you will get in China, 
And I would actually say like the economics are way better here versus in Europe. So potentially for that reason, much, much better to do it here. Colton, there's a point you, ba- you made that is like quite interesting. You're like, hey, I, um, it's not that this concept is novel. It's been done before. The big piece is, can you do it in a way where there's enough regulatory comfort? Mm-hmm. Um, a part of it is technology, which is, can you do KYC and transaction monitoring well? Um, so when I think through this in my head, I'm like, I feel fairly comfortable that you could on paper do the stuff well and get the U.S. regulators comfortable because U.S. has an incentive in being kind of like at the center of all of this. A hundred percent. But the question that I always go back to, how would local regulators react to this, which is a, this pattern emerging where customers are in some way not preferring keeping money in, in the country and exporting it out somewhere else? Have you all run into anything like that, or do you all have any thoughts about that? Give me. Do you have an? Do you have an example? Like, like an example would be the Brazilian regulators uh, uh, and their their thoughts and feelings oh, no. around uh, customers not holding money in Brazil but moving money to the U.S. Because from a U.S. regulatory perspective, if you can do transaction monitoring and oversight well, they'd welcome the wealth versus not, mm-hmm. but it in a way is exporting wealth from one country to another. But are you ever really exporting it? Because it, it Well, you're technically reducing it, circulation, right? Because now the Brazilian government doesn't yeah. make the 5%, 7% VAT on every transaction that they would have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Lucas, Go ahead, you're, you're like, smiling. Like, I feel I'm like just, you I'm have like some here thoughts just thinking on about this. It. Yeah, I'm yeah. sitting here like, geez, Lucas is like, I had someone knock on my door last <laughs> night. To... Um, <laughs> they tried to get me to shut Nomad no, down. Yeah. You're like a poster <laughs> child of this in, 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 in Brazil. So, so like, I'm small. sure you've thought through this. We're so small yeah. compared to what yeah. like really is yeah. the market. We are so small when you think about individuals. Really, right? If you think about yeah. the whole FX market, businesses transacting daily, mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's really a different dimension. So uh, I don't think it, it, of course, when you think of like billionaires, ultra high net worth individuals, it's a different thing. We're not talking here about that, right? We're talking about retail, the mass half in Brazilian. And that, that that's kind of... I, I, I've, I've heard multiple things and opinions. It's hard. I'm not an, I'm not an especially, I'm specialist here at all, but it, it just doesn't move the needle when you think about like how really money, money flowing cross border by individuals changes the economic perspective yeah. from a like government perspective. Um, it, it's so small. So I personally don't think it's that big of a deal but of course we're of course we have to to really work closely with regulators and really actually we help them in many like in many ways just by giving visibility to something that is in a few cases happening behind the scenes right already yeah yeah totally so so we recently it's kind of on topic we recently ran up against some interesting um some interesting ways that I think uh, 
entity formation in Brazil um, <laughs> sort of keeps uh, so, sort of keeps um, maybe not the currency necessarily, but profits from the the currencies going out of Brazil, like in Brazil. Um, so one of our one of the big things that we've been doing lately uh, is is getting deeper into uh, helping our customers hedge currency risk. Um, our uh, our CRO, I call him uh, both Chief Revenue and Chief Risk Officer. <laughs> you know, he spent a lot of time on Wall Street early in his career. He's come up with some really awesome um, programs to help um, businesses hedge their uh, hedge their um, hedge their uh, risk. So we were talking with this customer, and they hold you know a large sum of U.S. dollars. Um, and every month they book, and this is holding a Brazilian customer, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, this is a Brazilian customer. Yeah, and every month they book, you know, call it a twenty million dollar uh, notional exposure uh, with BRL against their USD uh, to protect currency. So we were moving really fast in the process, and we get down to the nitty gritty, um, and the way that their entity was formed um, in Brazil, made it such that they could only run currency hedging programs through local Brazilian banks. So What? the Brazilian, yeah, it's crazy. And like we had to bring, we had their lawyers come in on it. Um, and you know, uh, you know, long story short, they're going through a process now to change that but their lawyers their attorneys like they had no idea that this was even like um a thing and i'm sitting here looking at it and i'm like i i don't know how it was but it's it's as if it's as if in some form or fashion the the brazilian regulators or uh governing bodies were somehow protecting currency leaving brazil by keeping all of the profits from them leaving in Brazil, right? Uh, which was, it was just, just a really interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, India has something similar, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, uh, if you export out more than $10,000, you have to give a disclosure, and then I think there are taxes mm -hmm. as well that you have to pay. I don't even think you can move money out of China. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, <laughs> What, what do you all think is missing? Uh, I know we're just at the very early, early stages of this, uh, which kind of like is this strange global banking product, uh, which to your point, Lucas, is just all about convenience and security for customers. What, what's, what's missing in the stack from your, from your perspective? Um, we're all building startups here. So we all know timing is something that is critical right yeah. um i think that um i i think that we're still we're still missing something that you mentioned in the beginning that is more of a global f regulatory framework right um yeah. when when you have two two jurisdictions you have one interface when you have three you have three interfaces when you have four it, yeah. it grows exponentially right um yeah and 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 so i i think that that's what's missing we chose to start with 
one country, which is Brazil, and one U.S. banking infrastructure um, for multiple reasons. We are, we are Brazilians building yeah. a business for Brazilians right now. We really understand uh, Brazilians, how Brazilians behave. We, we also have um, proximity with regulators here. So we are, we are here. Even though what we're building in terms of banking infrastructure, you know that, you know that it's kind of agnostic, right? Like, yeah. But we are extremely convinced that really understanding the, the local behavior and regulation and not, all, not only navigating that regulation, but also helping the regulator understand and evolve is, is critical. And it's the reason why yeah. we have doubled down on our focus uh, here right now uh, in Brazil. Um, because it looks like there is still a long way for us to be truly global. Um, yeah. If you think of what we've seen, for example, uh, Revolut, looking for, like, I think they have, they, they're public about um, the way they communicate of having a license in each country where they operate, right? It's, it's hard, man. Imagine, right? Yeah. So yeah. they're doing the hard way, my understanding, and maybe they will win. Maybe maybe they're gonna do that, and then they're gonna become the the, the standard, and um, yeah. they're gonna make things really easy and transparent and simple. I think it's gonna be hard. Um, so I I think there is a that, that's the main thing. Regulation um, yeah. is, I think it's it's, and I and I don't I don't really have a good answer, but I think it's 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 maybe crypto will help will help moving countries and regulators towards a more shared understanding of what the, the cross-border um, products and services should be. But I think yeah. it's going to take some time. Yeah. And I think when Lucas, you and I were speaking once before, you also said it's very hard to do multiple regions well for one more reason, which is just understanding the customer and different patterns and behaviors and asks and needs between even the Brazilian market and the Mexican market and the Argentinian market are just exceptionally interesting to watch. Like we've done some work in Costa Rica, we've done some work in Brazil, we've done some work in Mexico at this point in Argentina. And it's so interesting to see how there are these intricate details around customer pattern, customer behavior uh, that kind of changes. Colton, what do you think? What is what is missing from your perspective? Well, I think I think Lucas hit the nail on the head. I was going to add in uh, I, I, every naive fintech starts out as like, uh, and I was one of them. I imagine we probably all were uh, with this idea of like, why do we have to do things like this? You know, like why 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 do I have to have my social security number on this payload to send to this bank? Like. 
how come they have to have a government ID and a passport photo? Like, this is so dumb. Like, I hate, you know, I, I still hear my engineer sometimes like pulling their hair out over like these, these, these are just dumb requirements. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, I think for us internally, you know, we had a culture shift of, you know, instead of, you know, we can still question things because questioning is, you know, the, the beginning of um, diving deeper and solving a problem and all of those things. But I think internally what was missing for us and maybe for other fintechs and regulators is it's, it's actually a culture of, of compliance and regulation is, um, is strategic. And if you can learn how to play within those rules, um, that's where startups really shine. Um, I think not to pat you too much on the back, Sankat, but like some of the stuff that you guys have done, I mean, you guys figured that out at probably a, a year or two before us, you know, you, you've been around a lot longer, but, um, and like you guys have done some really innovative, um, things there. And because we're nerds, I think man. that's, a, we're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing is it's like when you, when you start saying, okay, compliance and regulation are a part of it. You can't, you can't run away from it. Now it's how can we like, let's get nerdy with it, right? Like let's, let's dive in into the deepest form. And it's like, how can we give them better and more information? And um, like, let's almost like, let's give too much information, but like, how do we give more information without requiring too much information from our customers to give us? What are those solutions that we have to build? Um, and I think when we start thinking like that, uh, it eventually works its way to regulators and then regulators begin to trust that people like Nomad or Synapse or Route Fusion or whomever are here and they're not trying to disrupt like their job. They're not trying to launder money or like open up the, you know, the, the gateways for people to just like move money all over the world, however they want with no uh, oversight. It's like, no, what we're trying to do is how do we make it more efficient, yeah. right? How do we actually improve that regulator's job. How do we make your life easier, right? And I think that's the thing that's missing is it's like that message. And I think it is, right? Like it, I say it's missing. I think it just takes time because what you're doing is you're changing, um, you're ultimately, you're changing minds. That was like one of the biggest things that, that people would ask, like, you know, what was the hardest part about Route Fusion? I was like, culture, changing culture at banks, changing culture at, these large MSBs and FX houses. Like, and I think that's the thing with, especially in Latin America, who has, um, you know, it's almost as if Latin America has protected themselves uh, because, of, in, because of its past, right? Um, but now Latin America, in certain regions, and now Latin America is on the cusp of, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's it, like it's the newest, most amazing market. It has one of the youngest populations, uh, some of the most, you know, tech adopted um, uh, countries uh, in the entire world. Um, and so I think regulators are obviously, they're seeing that, they're seeing the economy's booming. Um, and once that marriage happens, where, and even in the US, right, like where regulators start trusting us and they start trusting that, like, we're not just like, you know, 
we're not we're not just the hackers that just want to break everything it's like we want to break stuff but we want to we, we want to do it for good <laughs> uh i think that's it yeah that's what and it, and and you know what you know how you fix that time yeah that's it it's just time lucas that's what's the is. hardest part of this in your opinion the hardest part yeah the hardest part for us at route fusion at least um is how do we form the right relationships and how do we get the best opinions um for moving into these countries um and for working with these regulators and how do we do it in the fastest way possible right like that's that's what's really hard um there's obviously like tons of tech stuff that i could probably go into around document collection and verifying businesses in mexico that want to open bank accounts which i'm sure you guys are doing Sinket. like those challenges like yeah those pose their own problems um but i think the core of it is like building a healthy relationship with um government regulators in different countries and then learning the lay of the land and not upsetting people and not upsetting your you know I, i've we have customers um you know that <laughs> Here's a good one. We had to move like $5 million out of Colombia the other day for a customer, treasury transaction, Colombia to the US. That was one of the craziest things that we've ever done. Um, because the Colombian bank is like sitting here, they're like, what? Like, we're not gonna just let you move 5 million US dollars from our Colombian bank to like your US, like, who are you guys? And they just, you know, like, I mean, give, like I said, give Columbia's history, right? Like they have set up themselves, the banks have set up themselves in a way to protect them, right? They have to protect themselves. And so how did we have to, we had to, we had to go in deep. Like we had to work with uh, different uh, vendors. We had to work with people on the, we had to work with boots on the ground there to really like understand that this money wasn't, you know, this isn't fraudulent money. This isn't, you know, bad money. This is just a customer's funds that does business in Mexico that needs to move it here. And then it's coming back and, you know, it took like, legitimately, it took like a week and a half, right? To just like get the, and then finally we got through it. The money came through. It was a pretty big deal. It was like, we gave everyone high fives in the office, like uh, made us closer with some of our partners. But like, it's stuff like that where it's like, they're, the, the culture has been trained to think no, bad. Um, and we have to build trust. And, 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 that, and that's the hardest part. Yeah just takes time. What about you, Lucas? What do you think is the hardest part about this? Well, I, I, I agree with Colton. Um, yeah. I, I, Lucas is so drained by <laughs> regulators. He's just but, like, but, oh. but let me, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to avoid. Yeah. But I, I'm going to give a yeah. broader perspective here. Um, before yeah. Nomad, I had never bought a US stock right so this is quite new to me and from a very like personal interior interior motive like i am personally attracted by learning opportunities similarly in my previous 10-year journey in real estate tech i had never bought real estate before starting that and here i am again right like tackling a problem 
multiple things that we are doing. We are kind of first movers, and that's really exciting to me. Uh, I can relate to Colton's uh, mentioning uh, how naive we are when we have this beautiful idea, right? We're going to change, change the world, and then you... <laughs> you'll start understanding after you learn that things can, can be a little bit more complicated than you anticipated. Um, and so, so right now, we launched Nomad about 18 months ago, right? That's when we launched the first version yeah. of the app. And since then, imagine we were building, and Suncat has been part of this. We started this, before the pandemic so imagine how yeah. much has changed since then um yeah so if you asked me two years ago it was going to be a different thing uh 12 months ago a different thing maybe now is so i don't know maybe maybe now is just how unpredictable even public markets are in the short term yeah and how that's affecting everything else and something that has not even mm -hmm. been considered yet, which is how are those outcomes, like what's, how are those gonna affect back everything else globally? That was gonna be my next question. <laughs> and I don't have that answer. <laughs> and it's the reason why that's the hardest part for me. That's exactly it right that's now. Fair. Colton, what do you think? Um, public markets are down. Uh, there is uncertainty if we're in a recession or not. Uh, you and I were talking before we hopped on the pod. Um, seems like transaction patterns and behaviors have not changed yet. But this, like, again, to like Lucas's point, right? Like Nomad initially was going to be traveler's card. Then pandemic hit, no traveling new pattern emerged, new pattern being people still want security in their money. US is, USD is providing that and that kicked off something. Now we're potentially in a recession. How do you think that impacts this trend, which is global banking uh, positively or negatively? Uh, I was just talking with someone else about this the other day. Um, so, how do I put this? I think that, A, I think that like all of us are, we're all startups, right? Once again, I'll lead with that, Lucas, you led with it last time. We're all startups. We, uh, we all have the um, luxury of being able to move fast, um, quote unquote pivot, um, change, go to market, whatever it is. So, you know, I think though for the global from a global banking perspective uh Nabil um who is our CRO who's been in FX and payments for 30 years right um he's gone through two recessions you know he's I mean, he's gone through it all and he always tells us he's like look man like um at least for FX right he's like it's recession proof in the sense that money doesn't stop moving um, and if I take that same, I, and I, you know, for me, I always, oh yeah, sure. Whatever nabs, we got to be at ready. Right. And he's been saying that since we met in 2019, 2018. Um, 
but now that we're on this like cusp of a recession, I I feel like from a global banking perspective, especially like with LATAM, um, you know, what Nomad has been doing and what Synapse has been doing with Global Cash and what Route Fusion has been doing um, with local payment networks and FX, like those trends don't seem to, um, like to me, it's not as if like, you know, it's not as if, it's not as if just because we're in a recession, people in Brazil are not going to want to protect themselves, right? And and have a U.S. dollar account. It, it, it's not going to change business. If anything, if anything, it should speed business up, right? It's like, well, shit. I, I really have to. I really have to protect myself now. Like, um, inflation's rampant everywhere. If the U.S. dollar's inflating like that, like that means you know I'm making this up. That means the that that means the Brazilian real is going to go even crazier. Um, like it should in theory make you want to go into cost saves mode. Right. Um, so like what I talk about with our advisors is, you know, what's our messaging? What's the, what's the change in messaging? Um, is it as much expansion as it is cost saves? Is it as much, um, like what, like buyer mindsets change. So I, I don't know. I, I think though in the global space, like Money can't stop moving. People can't stop wanting to protect themselves. Um, opportunities arise everywhere. So, I mean, like I said, Sinket, I think we already got we already got a little taste of the recession hitting us. Yeah. You know, which was I told you it made me happy because I was like, yes, there it is. Maybe that's the worst that's going to happen. Knock on wood. No, but um, I don't know. I think it's just a, a a matter of you just have to find, like you said, where the opportunity is. Yeah. It's always there. Yeah. I mean, switching gears a little bit, not away from a session, hopefully. Um, <laughs> we talked about compliance a whole lot in the regulatory regime. What about fraud? Uh, what, what does that look like in this new world where we already established that these buying patterns and spending patterns and customer patterns just vary by region? Like, how does that how does that extrapolate itself in fraud? Which Lucas, I know you have like the front row seat to this. And yeah, I was gonna say I want to hear Lucas yeah. talk about that's like the and Colton, mm. you see like a much broader aspect of this as we well. We see stuff, but we see stuff, but I feel like Lucas is like ground floor. He's he's probably you've probably yeah, blacklisted so, a few people, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, th th this is I think identity and fraud are definitely the two biggest uh the two biggest ongoing projects that we have uh, as we have been growing recently i'm sorry do they ever finish i don't know <laughs> ongoing are they like are they are they ever finished i yeah, feel like they're forever. always ongoing um yeah. and um and we have been growing as any startup, when you think about go-to-market strategy, you start with downloads and then accounts and then activation of accounts. You know, have those waves, and and we have a we we, we are in in especially the last six months after Brazilians started traveling again because till November last year 
yeah, we were facing, Brazilians were facing 15-day mandatory yeah. quarantine before entering the United States. So uh, there was this moment that really accelerated everything, and especially in the last six months. Well, don't be yeah. humble. You're, you're in a hyper <laughs> so my, my point here is when you think of the consumer journey, there are steps, and I will say we are from day one yeah. ready for KYC, right? And really, um, mm -hmm. that's kind of where we are really solid and fraught. We know this is something that you have to learn on the go. This, let's remember, we're talking about a Brazilian mm -hmm. using a nomad card in the United States or abroad. And, and those behaviors, yeah. they are not well known, right? And so we are learning. And mm -hmm. so having said that, it's, it's critical within everything that we're doing. And, and it's definitely a shared responsibility, right? With all of our partners. And, and, I, and internally, we always have those two topics being like, the, of course, not addressed in conjunction, but they are always one, like they, they, they walk by one by, by the other. Yeah. So, so that we could be talking a lot here and, and this is really a big topic. Uh, having started like with a global banking, a global banking product, building KYC, AML, fraud infrastructure was, was a critical component and Synapse was from day one a big part of the solution. Um, we established together the, the requirements, right, for a robust KYC yeah. process, validating locally issued yeah. IDs, passport and then driver's yeah. license, all that stuff. and. And fraud, fraud starts with identity, right? And it's the reason why we always have those two walking together. We made sure we would always be above bar of what is a robust process in the perspective of a license of, of, of the licensed entity in the US using best in class providers in the space. And I remember, as I said, when I started exploring this opportunity, hey, FinTech, talking to my lawyers, what should I be worried about? <laughs> and uh, AML crimes are one of the five crimes that you cannot get bailed out in Brazil. <laughs> so they said, yes. Mm. <laughs> so that's how serious we oh, take wow. it. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Um, wow. That's scary. And um, wow. So, so that's it. And, and another part of it, so in our case, given that this is, we're talking about a US bank account, another part is the FX component. And we partner with a Brazilian licensed FX bank to take care of the operations of the international money transfer to the US banking system. And it means that we also comply with the local, the local identity and fraud prevention requirements, which may be even more stringent because FX in Brazil okay. is regulated by, by the central bank here yeah. in Brazil. So, so everything is kind of connected. And finally, we partner with yeah. a brokerage as a service partner in the US to offer investment products. And this partner expects us to also to comply with 
very similar requirements of a licensed broker dealer. So we take it very seriously and uh, I just wanted to, to give this like broader explanation because it, it's self-explanatory how critical it is um, before everything else that we do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colton, what are your thoughts? Any crazy stories, interesting patterns? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I won't give any. I, I I won't. You know, there's definitely been the uh, when we first got going, there was like it was like our first taste of uh, of, of payroll fraud. So um, one of our customers was a uh, payroll company that had started building banking features and. Anyways, this is when the PPP loans mm -hmm. were really big. And what had happened uh, was, you know, there was a hack of like all these PPP loan information at, at the government. Like, and so then, you know, you know, look at, think about the PPP loan. I don't know if you got dug into it, but it has every single piece of information about someone's business yeah. that you would need in order to like defraud someone's business, right? Pretend that you are that business owner. And so one of the major things that was happening at the time was, uh, was these people were going um, and they were, they were targeting early neobanks or early stage companies that could give them access to ACH rails and uh, were marketing themselves as real-time payments and instant settlement and that sort of stuff. And they were setting up accounts and then doing the, um, doing, what is it called? Um, uh, sending, you know, $15,000 or, you know, whatever the max was, um, and then trying to instant settle, uh, and then withdrawing that cash immediately and then just walking away. Cause they know what they weren't, they weren't anyone that was, it was all fake. Uh, but you know, we, we got, we got, I, we didn't technically get hit, but one of our customers got hit pretty hard with that. Um, and so that was kind of our entry point, um, into oh wow like fraud can fraud can can come in a bunch of different ways that we never would have thought of like we we would have never thought that that happened um but most recently it's a funny story i was talking with a, a web3 company and one of their big things was like hey very popular provider that everyone knows here um that helps people do instant clearing or a lot of people use them for like NFT stuff, purchases or whatever. Moon pay. I think their max limit is like $10,000. <laughs> no, no names, names, no names. Uh, it's not MoonPay though. It's not MoonPay. Um, and this company had this huge demand for their new Web3 marketplace. I mean, crazy demand. And they were searching the market for someone that would give them upwards of $1 million in instant settlement over ACH. And those not like familiar with like why that's just insane. Uh, you know, ACH, you have clawback periods where people can say that they didn't send the money and banks, banks generally don't mess around. They just, they just say whatever they give the money back and you're left, uh, left with the bag as they say left holding the bag it's um, technically about a 60 anyways, million I just remember, bag so yeah 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 i just remember them like coming like going through this conversation with them and they're er, they're an early stage company but like you know web3 insane demand 
I just remember being like, all right, guys, look, I get it in crypto world. Like I'm with you. It should be instant. But in reality, like this is, this is what's happening. You can't, no one's going to do this. This is why we helped educate them a little bit, but um, I still think like they're out there trying to find this, you know, someone to help give them that, uh, that instant settlement. I'm like, geez, someone's going to get hit hard with, yeah, no one's going to take that risk on. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've, we've seen our fair share. I'm, I imagine Sinket, you guys have seen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I think the most, uh, I think Lucas put this quite well, right? Like we've seen our fair share in the US and um, every market is a little unique. And then on mm. top of that, to Lucas's point, the buyer journey and the pattern we have here, which is you live in Brazil, but you're shopping in the US or going to Europe or going somewhere else, it's unexplored like people have done it sure but they've done it in like high socioeconomic status brackets at banks Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's not that this data is available so it's uh, um this is the most fascinating thing which is like we've seen to your point colton like so many different ways and on a constant basis you go what how (laughs) like how could you have even caught this um they say that's why paypal was so successful is because they were the only one they they figured out their fraud detection right like that was I'm it. not. I'm not sure how true this uh, statement is, but somebody told me, so I'll kind of like repeat that. Max Levchin used to have this uh, uh, saying, which is, "How do you build the best uh, fraud mitigation system?" And the answer is by losing a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Just losing less money than the uh, your your competitor that you make and your competitor. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, where do you all think? Five years from now, what does this look like? Global banking. What would you like to see? And what do you think most likely happens? Lucas, so I, maybe you first and then Colton. Maybe going in circles here again, but I think that um, we see this huge need for, for a product that provides seamless global banking for global citizens, traveling, spending abroad, preserving wealth for global investing. We also see globally this momentum in terms of regulation to adopt technologies that may take some of the inefficiencies out of the international money flows, right? Um, In the short term, the solution to global banking will continue entailing becoming trusted partners of licensed institutions globally. And so long-term is even, it's hard, right? What is long-term these days? Like five years from now, is it two years from now? But very long-term, we really think this is going to be a world that cross-border is not mentioned. Is a world in which we don't talk about global, as Colton mentioned. It's a world in which nomad is a means to an end. And people don't even think about nom- nomad, right? They, they, want to, they want to have a Starbucks coffee. They don't want to use our nomad card. Right? It's about experience, and we are more of a means to an end rather than the tool. Yeah. And so if we envision this future yeah. in which 
financial products and services are just financial products and services and not global products and services, then that's kind of the world that consumers mm. will be really happy and we will be closer to fulfilling our mission. That's kind of how we think about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I always, uh, you know, I've got, I'm sure we all have these friends that are, um, that love the conspiracy theory. I mean, who doesn't love a good conspiracy theory, right? But like, you know, really dig into it. And I have these, uh, I have a big front porch in my house and I always have what I call like front porch sessions where if I have some friends over or like my neighbors, we come over and have a glass of wine and, you know, nighttime have good deep conversation. Anyways, one of my buddies uh, was over and he was talking about, oh, you know, like, we need to just focus on America, you know, and globalism is the root of all evil. Like it's, it's da, 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 da. And I think that mindset, like even when we were starting route fusion, right? Like back in 2016, 2017, um, we were nervous cause we were like, Oh geez, like there's a very, like this whole idea of globalism is going away, like the new administration, whatever. But, I think what's inevitable is that like the world has to get smaller, right? Like globalism is what like this idea of globalism, uh, you know, global banking, uh, a global economy, those things have been, I guess, propping up the world um, have been um, the cause for, I'm sure a lot of, very bad things, but also for a lot of really amazing things. Um, and I think it's been historically, at least for consumers, you know, um, like at St. you said it earlier, like uh, it's been maybe for those of a certain socioeconomic class, like extremely wealthy people that uh, can have those things. Um, but I mean, you see it with Nomad, I'm sure um, there's, there's other companies, um, that are doing similar trends all over the world where it's uh, giving these things that have been exclusive to those wealthy individuals or maybe those, what I always say for us on the, from the B2B side is like um, giving the power of uh, that, you know, that the, that the largest companies that the fortune 500 has had um, giving that power to everyday businesses to grow their, to grow into new markets, to expand, um, to, uh, continue accessing the uh, the global economy and all of that to say that i am convinced that it's impossible to stop this movement of um of global banking or um getting rid of borders or or whatever it may be um i think in the next five years it's going to be Shit, I'm excited. I have five years from now, I'm like trying to think. I'm like, okay, if we continue to do that, what's our transaction volume going to be in five years? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to back. I'm like, oh my. Um, I think, which Avengers are we going to be on? <laughs> which Avengers? Yeah. Oh, man. Let's not get going on Avengers. Uh, we took the team. Now you got me going. We took the team to see uh, the new Doctor Strange, the ones that are in Austin. People went out and saw the new Doctor Strange epic movie. Um maybe my favorite Marvel movie, but back on topic, you know, the next five years, I don't know. Someone's, someone's got to go public, right? Uh, other than like a, I guess transfer wise or wise is like a, you know, one of the 
public companies that that's done some cool stuff there but um you know not on the new york stock exchange at least so someone's gonna go public someone a lot of consolidation probably i mean i it's gonna there's gonna you know in in five years what you'll probably see is uh you know everyone's gonna be talking about global banking (laughs) right like it's the new big thing yeah i think so (laughs) maybe who knows uh i think it's always been a thing um but uh but yeah no i think that 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 continues to happen the the world continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller um but i am adamant i will say like as as much as i want a smaller world and uh easier access to financial services everywhere i still want everyone to keep their culture right like i would really hate to go to brazil um and you know have to eat american food like <laughs> you mean taco bell yeah, taco, taco bell, bell. yeah exactly <laughs> taco bell <laughs> uh no but oh, yeah, God, yeah. chipotle no, but I'm, I'm just hilarious yeah. no, I, I call it i always call it chipotle oh, gosh. <laughs> i try and put as much of a gringo twist on it as i can chipotle oh, <laughs> by the way for people who can't see this i think y'all are having great hair day today both of you I don't know, Lucas. Lucas definitely has. I'm sorry. The, has yeah, the yeah, hair. yeah. Lucas definitely. No, has should the I hair. be? Yeah, he's got. It. Lucas, do you surf by chance? <laughs> Are you a surfer? <laughs> I don't know. You got the hair, man. <laughs> You're in Brazil, like you know. That's true. I'm sure surfing would be fun. But guys, that's all I had. Thanks a lot for joining me. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation about global banking and oh, where thanks. you all think things would be in the next five years. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for awesome. having me. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Under the Hood. And a special thanks to our guests as well. If you like the podcast, please go to synapsefi.com slash under the hood to subscribe. Thanks again. See you next time. Did you know a podcast episode like this can provide literally dozens of marketing content assets for your business? It's brought to you by Content Monsta, your go-to for engaging marketing content like this podcast or remote video production. It's not just a podcast. It's your marketing powerhouse. Visit contentmonsta.com to learn more. That's contentmonsta.com.